Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm Faye. And I'm James. So Faye, let's jump straight into this week's news. Well, hopefully most of you will already have seen the first piece of news and we shared it on our LinkedIn account already as well. But as expected, Cambridge's Pragmatic Semiconductor has completed their first close of the Series D funding round. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago and they've secured an investment of a whopping $206 planning a limited second um, stage for, for the key investors of another 25 million. So it brings the whole to 231 million. And it's going to basically underpin really unprecedented growth for the company. They're looking at a building program to create additional manufacturing plants all in the UK, despite, and we've talked about this on the podcast before as well, ec- extreme interest from America to get them to go over there. So it's really great news for the UK economy. And the plan is that over the next five years, they're going to build at least eight manufacturing lines in the UK, creating over 500 highly skilled jobs, both in the Northeast and in Cambridge. So really exciting news for them. Yeah, that really is. Um, you know, we we talk a lot, don't we, on the podcast about the semiconductor industry in the UK. So uh, huge congratulations to Scott White. Um, I think it was episode, what was it, one that Scott was on? I think so. Yeah. And still one of the most popular ones. And I'm sure after this announcement, everyone's going to go back and listen to that as well. Definitely go back and take a listen. So congrats to Scott and the whole Pragmatic team. On the subject of congratulations, uh, Cambridge Future Tech have just reported their initial close of funding for just over $3 million. I'm really pleased for Owen and the team. Since they launched in 2022, Cambridge Future Tech have built a portfolio of nine deep tech ventures, such as Cambridge-based Mimicrete, who are a leader in self-heating concrete technology, Minion, and GitLife Biotech, which actually spun out of Newcastle University. That's great news, and I'm sure they've got some huge plans moving forward as well to to increase that portfolio. Yeah, we'll have to get Owen on, actually, won't we? Yeah, definitely. In other news, Evenetics, they're a Cambridge biotech pioneer and a company called Analog Devices Inc., ADI. They're a US-based world leader in semiconductors. So we're back to semiconductors there again. They're teaming up to progress a revolutionary gene synthesis platform. So currently, gene synthesis is really it can be slow, expensive, inaccurate, potentially causing huge bottlenecks for innovation. And so together with ADI, Evenetics are developing a gene foundry on a chip which will consign the current service model really to history and that's certainly the intention they envisage preparing gene length dna in three days at the bench top accelerating the design build test cycle for antibodies vaccines and proteins that usually takes months down to days and and hopefully delivering as much as a tenfold productivity increase in gene delivery so it's another great example of cambridge participating in innovation that will really disrupt current systems. And finally, NASDAQ quoted Microchip Technology Inc. has announced a major new facility at the Cambridge Research Park. Already based in Ely in East Cambridgeshire, Microchip is a leading provider of smart, connected and secure embedded control solutions. 
Many of Microchip's highly skilled development engineers and other staff will transfer from the company's Ely site with plans in hand to boost the number of employees at the Cambridge base over time. That's great. So that's the news for this week. And let's move on with this week's episode. So we're on the road again in sunny Hinkston at the CW International Conference. May I just say it's the 5th of December. Oh, yeah, I'm it's not probably entirely not that sure it's that sunny. Did you drive in? Yes. Okay, I'm just checking how you actually got here to not notice the weather. Well, I was waiting for the teleportation panel to deliver some <laughs> results, but I had to drive. Okay, very good. Yes, anyway, we are. We're here at the CW International Conference. And we had at the start of the conference, Paul Lee um, from Deloitte was talking about some of the predictions and the current situation with the telco marketplace. And he said a couple of interesting things that I'd be interested to know what you think of, James. So the first one was around fixed connectivity to home is now fixed and the challenges within the home. What do you think about that one? Um, not based on my broadband speeds, it isn't. But I guess that's more of a commercial issue than a technology issue. And interestingly, that was another thing he said, which was no one bothers about what speeds they've got anymore. They just believe that they've got connectivity. So I'll introduce you to Paul and you can have a chat. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my gaming latency might be an issue for him. Okay. And then what else? Let's see what other things he said. I actually agree with this one. Users see for the first time a difference when 5G kicks in. Um, nope. Oh. I'm just like, we... Are you in a bad mood today? We're sitting very close to Cambridge, which is the tech cluster of the UK, and I have no bar coverage. Okay. Right. I'm going to move on. This is getting really awkward, everyone. Sorry. I hope you're feeling my discomfort. Am I bad cop today and you're good cop? <laughs> it certainly looks like it. Oh, crikey. Right. Let's try another one. Um, the connected home has never really taken off. It has in my house and in Carl's house. We're both very avid, nerdy home automation fans. Okay. And does it go as far as scanning the produce that goes in your fridge? No. Okay. No, it doesn't. But it does cover cameras, alarms, heating, various other things. But it is a fair point that there's still lots of different competing islands of technology and you can't just buy something with confidence and it will just connect. So that needs to be figured out. Yeah. Okay. So I think maybe it's, I'm asking the wrong audience these questions. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. generally. Good job I wasn't in the audience for that panel. Like, <laughs> oh, I might have run out of tomatoes pretty quickly. Yeah. But actually, you know, one thing that was interesting from a general public point of view was actually new devices are about experiences and actually having something that's aesthetically pleasing seems to be more important than function. So there you go. And I guess we'll hear more about that when we talk to Ben Stanton, who's a colleague of Paul's, when he does our tech predictions session at the start of 2024. Just to come back on that point, that is an interesting innovation dilemma because we've had so many iterations of the kind of black rectangle phone. Like, where do you go next from a design perspective? And I was listening to Elon Musk's latest conference appearance and he was very much saying the next leap will be Neuralinks rather than physical devices. Mm. See, uh, now I feel bad because I actually didn't even allow you the time to input on that because I thought <laughs> That's you were just going to That's because I was so negative about everything else. Again. Exactly, so, yeah. Um, trying to come back with some positivity. Yeah, no, it was good. Thanks. Thank right, let's move on. So today we are going to talk to a range of guests around the event theme, which is From the Moon to the Deep Blue Sea. So we're going to be talking at altitude, on the ground, and at sea. And then we're going to round off with how this could all converge. 
first, let's start with Paul Crane, CEO of Cambridge Wireless. Paul, welcome. Hi, good afternoon. So the first question I have for you is a really cheeky one because obviously it's me asking the question, how did you come up with such a great name? <laughs> um, thank you very much, Faye, <laughs> for, your, for your input into, into this. Yeah, no, thanks for the idea. It definitely came, it came from you, your brain, and it's great. And, you know, the event grew out of that superb insight to watch Ricard. And I and think... It's yes. been a really, really interesting title, and it's it's caused a lot of interest. So, so and, it, and it has, hasn't it? It's yeah. caused a reaction, yeah. and that was ultimately what we were trying yeah. to do, make people think. But what does it actually mean? Because I thought when Steve did his introduction, the chair of CW, yeah. Steve Anker, he he explained it really well, and it mm. kind of has different meanings depending yeah. on what you Yeah, so think. there's two tracks in the conference, and we're using the title to mean two things. One is, you know, convergence of technologies and wireless technologies that's happening around us, and we'll eventually change the world, but also using it as an allegory to look at future technologies from, you know, deep tech, things that are just on, on the horizon, to really a practical look at some technologies. What's the reality of them? So, for example, our session on AI isn't about AI ethics or the future AI. It's around what can you do with it today? Okay, what's the reality? You know, how is it? How would that impact your business now? So it should be a really, really interesting session. And and how's the day going? I mean, so much time and work goes oh, into planning these yeah, kinds of things. You know, so far, fantastic. Really, good. really good so far. And I, I've really, really enjoyed it, the sessions I've actually got to. Um, I went along to the um, the moonshot session where we had companies explaining what they're doing in that moonshot ideas. Fantastic variety from, you know, Orca, quantum compute company that's making real advances using optics for quantum computing. And real game-changing startup out of Oxford University, but really making a real difference, through to Apal, who are a really interesting startup from Norwich, which is looking at how you take moisture out of products not using heat. So when I first saw this, I thought, what the, what's that all about? But the real example they gave was uh, a moisturizer. So the moisturizer was on you know, a solid petal that you put on your hand added a drop of water, it instantly turned into that quality moisturiser that you could rub in. That's just an early example, but you can imagine, you know, taking moisture out of anything, agrochemicals, okay, so you don't have to transport gallons and gallons of stuff around, you're just transporting the, the, the raw material that can be reconstituted in a quality way. It can make a real radical difference, real sustainable, clean tech product, fantastic. OPPO were one of the winners of the Norwich Research Prize Innovation mm. Hot House last week, so it was ah, really right. great yes. to see them here today. And that's what, that's what they need. They need that platform to keep mm. raising the profile. So they were number one on my list. If I was judging last week, I thought they were absolutely fantastic yeah. what they're doing. And you also had Vivid Q, who's yes. been on the podcast in a previous episode yeah, yeah. as and, well. And Vivid Q with the holography and how to do holography that, that would make it much more practical, much more meaningful, much more accurate was just yeah, really, really inspirational. Yeah. So the team always seems super busy. What's coming up next for CW? So the next big thing we've got on the horizon is our technology and engineering conference in June. We're just planning that now, that's likely to be on AI. We think we'll take a specific deeper tech engineering view of that subject. And beyond that is Cambridge Tech Week. Wow. We did the inaugural Cambridge Tech Week this year. Turned out to be a major success. And we're now planning for that for September. We'll, we'll announce it officially in the, in the new year. 
but it's shaping up to gain to be a really interesting event, putting a spotlight on Cambridge, on the region and on the UK nationally. Good to hear. So my final comment is actually I'm agreeing with you on something you said at the end of the first session when Paul Lee from Deloitte said that the, he, he predicted that there would never be a top trumps of Wi-Fi routers. I actually agree with you. I love a top trumps. I'd be quite happy with one of those. In fact, in fact, my kids actually did threaten to make a top trumps for me, not of Wi-Fi routers, but of mobile antenna systems. It's <laughs> a bestseller right be, Because every time we go on holiday, I'm always looking at the mobile infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can imagine the reaction to your teenage kids when you do that. But well, I'll tell you what, once today's finished, take it back to the team and say you think that we should be developing a top trump uh, at, absolutely at CW. I, th I think we should yeah at cw top trumps fantastic idea Faye. perfect paul it's been lovely talking to you again and we'd better let you go back and and meet your delegates Great. thank you very much good talking to you So joining us now is Peter Kabutu, who is the 5G non-terrestrial network market lead at TTP. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Back in episode 34, we spoke to Neil Unit-Jones from Stratospheric Platforms. But maybe you could give us a description of why non-terrestrial networks are important and what do they do? So just to give a very brief view, so non-terrestrial network encompasses many things. So, so it's communication from... Uh, in airborne, like uh, UAVs or HAPs, the high altitude platforms, all the way to uh, the satellites. And the satellite themselves is the, what they call the LEO, uh, LEO orbit, which is non-geostationary. So they are revolving relative to the wall. And the geostationary, which is stationary, is fixed spot relative to the ground. So in NTN is a term that was coined by 3GPP. At the moment, 3GPP is a body that standardizes cellular communication and only focused on the terrestrial world. So there was a drive towards taking that world of terrestrial, those standards and the technology to go to space, a convergence, I would say. And that's what non-terrestrial network term was coined to, to kind of means now these are the extra networks that are not terrestrial. But it's still used in use cases where, because satellites communication has been there. It's not new yeah. at all. Yeah. It's just been niche, the market. So in, in, the, in the context of NTN at the moment, it really means this world of convergence where people can use their devices when they have cellular coverage and when they're out of cellular coverage, they can connect this new network and then terrestrial networks. Mm. Yeah. So what kind of opportunities are there for new technologies, new applications at altitude? Oh, there's loads. There's loads because you look at any evolution of any technology, especially communication technology, every time there's a huge inflection point, there's lots of new use cases that come about. So there is a lot of opportunities for cellular operators to be able to provide cost-effectively what they call ubiquitous coverage to allow users to connect their customers to have reliable connection wherever they are, which they would not have been able to do without you know, building loads and loads of towers everywhere. And there's also opportunities uh, for the, the satellite community because all of a sudden now there's a huge untapped market before they're only talking to like high value customers. You're talking about now the global market of all the customers that are already under the MNOs, the mobile network operators at the moment. And also you, be, you could imagine opportunities from, uh, you know, users, small businesses working from home, being able to reliably know that 
I would be driving to Scotland, but I would be able to take a, a team's call because it will reach me. At the moment, you would never be guaranteed when the call comes. You get a call, but you're not going to be able to do any data or receive your email. So it's, it's going to open a lot of new use cases and things like making like emergency services, disaster recovery. You know, it's, it's in every area you can imagine. So ubiquitous coverage just means you get reliable coverage everywhere. And also, you know, digital divide, places like developing world where there is actually no coverage in the remote areas. So it's, it's huge. It's, it's big. From yeah. a commercial exploitation perspective, do you see space uh, following what's happened uh, with terrestrial networks? In other words, multiple companies building similar infrastructure and competing? Or, you know, there's been a lot of controversy recently with the power that Elon Musk has with access to Starlink. Do you see that? Do you see the exploitation of space being more of a strategic kind of global issue? Or do you see it just following a traditional commercial model? Yeah, that's interesting. In fact, uh, uh, today there was a discussion in the panel on the same topic. So, I mean, you have to assume it's very important. It's a critical infrastructure space and the spectrum associated with it, which is the radio frequency available for us to provide service. And the problem at the moment, it's a big, it's a big delta to be able to access, to be able to launch a huge Leo constellation, which is where you get the big, big tech coming in. And there's an opportunity. So there's a market. The question is, uh, how do we do it in a more sustainable way and more equitable way and more you know, responsible way? So uh, the current satellite operators who, who are in that space are very responsible. You know, the, the market has stabilized and their regulatory bodies and uh, they've used it in a mutual benefit way. Thing is, obviously, because we know there's a huge market, you can see if you're a big tech with big pockets. Yeah. You just want to go for the whole thing and make it really hard for anybody else to come in. But is that really good? Because the problem is this, this operator is a global operator. It's not a regional anymore. So once you have that satellite there, it affects everybody. So it's, my view is it can't really be dominated by one person at all or one organization. It's, it's really bad for everybody. It, it needs to be able to be equitable and sustainable and used responsibly. And it needs to drive innovation across the different ecosystem, not just across one big vertically integrated organization. At the moment, it hasn't happened, but hopefully we've seen a lot of small operators coming together, the satellite operators, to try to, to invest because it's quite a huge investment or maybe the government's intervening. And, you know, it is an important resource and it's one of those things it would be a big mistake to just go to the big tech because that's how you can guarantee innovation. At the moment, if you look what happens in the cellular world, these cell phone makers, chips makers, these AI companies writing software to do stuff, you've got data centers, there's a huge ecosystem around that broadband connection to your handset at the back end. There's a lot of companies and you at home and you know, being able to work at home. So that, imagine all that went to one port so first of all, it's not going to drive a lot of innovation and it's bad for the economy socially and, you know, in many ways. So, so my view is really is that it should follow the same model that's happened in the cellular world. The same model should be the one that exploits this new space resource. 
there's huge opportunities but you're right you know making sure we know the space junk up there as well we know that there's an environmental concern with it so being responsible doing things in an equitable fashion is like super important so my my final question for you is one on logistics so someone said in the earlier panel if something goes wrong you can't exactly send a technician up in a rocket to fix it so what are some of those challenges around performance and scale and reliability yeah a a mass when it falls down you send somebody the screwdriver to fix once you send a satellite if it goes horribly wrong that's it it's done which means you've got to do lots of testing. So the paradigm of uh, building this network is you need to do lots of testing, lots of design, you know. Yeah, so there's a lot of innovation, all this new technology like digital twin, you know, to model it, a lot of modeling that need to happen at the, at the onset. And also just being able to make more reliable electronics, more reliable devices. So that's what this is going to drive because of the economics of it, entail that you have to be able to do that. And if you want to do that in large scale, then you've got to, to, to do that ahead of time. And then once the network is there, it's always designed to be very reliable for that, for resilience. And, and you do, yeah, so you need to be responsible that, you know, you don't create so much space junk. So you have to think through the whole process well in advance. But it's an opportunity because it's new. If people are going to use space uh, responsibly, it means like there's going to be other innovation round to making that happen. But to enable that, obviously, you've got to get the right regulations around it. Because by doing it, you know, like there are companies trying to reuse uh, or refueling satellites or deorbiting satellites. There's actually the same way uh, we are seeing in the, in the green technology, there's an equivalent one for being sustainable in space. And it's not a bad thing because it actually stimulates other innovation in other areas. It's just being able to think about it in that perspective, not just think about it from a commercial perspective. It's a big opportunity. We should just go and grab it because that's going to end up in exactly, you know, the space junk scenario. That's great. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us and sharing your insights. Thank you very much. Are you a data-driven business looking for resilient infrastructure, connectivity, and the power to compute sustainably? KO Data develops and operates high-performance, energy-efficient data centers for advanced computing. Our scalable, state-of-the-art facilities support the mission-critical workloads of life sciences, biotech, and AI startups across the Cambridge Tech Cluster. To find out how we can help host your compute, get in touch at kodata.com contact. KO Data, proud to sponsor the Cambridge Tech Podcast. So joining us now is Nick Johnson, who is head of UKTIN. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for taking time out of the conference. Thanks for inviting me. Why don't we start with the obvious question? What does UKTIN do? What is UKTIN? Otherwise known as UKTIN. And uh, yeah, so the Telecoms Innovation Network is what the TIN stands for. And the clue's in the name to some extent. So we're about innovation in telecoms, meaning fixed, mobile, and non-terrestrial, as I'm learning to call it, not just satellite anymore. And it's a network. So we, we have a bunch of working groups, structures, processes, people, voluntary volunteers, really leading UK innovation in telecoms back into some kind of alignment, right? So there's been a whole range of government reports, really, starting with the diversification task force report back in 2021 saying, you know, this is what's wrong with UK telecoms. 
And UK TIN is, is the government's response to that, was to bring a consortium together, University of Bristol, Digital Catapult, West Midlands 5G and Cambridge Wireless, topically enough, to address those issues and things like the front door service. So how do people find their way around telecoms innovation? Looking at creating a roadmap for telecoms innovation in the UK over a five to 10 year time frame, both academic and industrial. And training, upskilling SMEs in the business of innovation, how to create a company, how to for form a company, grow a company, scale a company, and attract the investment that such a thing would need. Looking at the skills gap that is in every industry, but particularly obvious in telecoms with aging workforce. Okay, it's not very good radio, is it? I'm pointing at myself saying evidence of the rate of the aging workforce, but let your listener use their imagination. And obviously the sex bias in telecoms workforce, right? It's like 3% female engineers in, in telecoms, right? It's just bonkers. How has it happened? I guess it's easier to understand about why is it continuing? So, you know, all of those aspects, they're trying to address them over the period. That's of a the, huge surface. Area. It is a very broad brush, very broad oh. remit, which we get charged with a lot. So yeah, you guys are just trying to boil the ocean. Why are you even bothering, right? Our job in telecoms is to raise the temperature of this conversation, the temperature of action. And are you and collaborating with the mobile operators or? It's mainly supply side. It's mainly vendor yeah. side in okay. industrial applications and in universities. Mm -hmm. But of course, we have to have the operators in the conversation, right? Because unless we know what the operator community is, is looking at, trying to achieve, then any of innovation is kind of pointless, right? So we do, we're not, this isn't, this isn't in a vacuum. Yeah. We have okay. to do it with some point in mind. So let's think about what an operator is. So not only the big telcos that we know all about and the struggles they're having, but also there's an emerging market in shared network, shared spectrum, neutralized operators that we're trying to serve as well. So each has a slightly different angle and what the requirements are, but we see growth in one area and there's obviously a huge embedded base in the other. Mm. Both are important. Well, thank you, Nick, for that introduction. I think there's probably a whole episode we could do on what your tasks are, what your objectives so. are at UK TIN. So just bringing it back a little bit to today's agenda as well. One of the very first questions that came from the audience, the, the delegate quoted a book and I, I didn't know what the book was, but he said, you know, he was talking about telecoms too much, but never enough. I think that was the title of the book, actually. Oh, was it? Okay, so well, thank <laughs> you. for Obviously, I wasn't listening very well then, was I? But I, I really liked it because I think yeah. that the there is that question always about technology that I think we're, we're constantly challenged with. And then Paul, the opening speaker, talked about everyone having ubiquitous connectivity. And we're here in a venue that actually doesn't really have very it ubiquitous really connectivity. Have any connectivity, does it? Okay, no. moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, but generally, you know, Paul's statement was very brave. Do you actually agree with that? Or do you think that we've got further to go? I think we've got a lot further to go. Yeah. I mean, it it's kind of mind-boggling at one respect that the requirements statement for 6G, which has been doing the rounds in the last few months, includes this idea of ubiquitous coverage. It's astonishing that it's taken six generations of mobile connectivity for that to become a requirement. I mean, wasn't it like, <laughs> wasn't it just day one, right? Yeah, let's cover everyone. Oh, okay, no, it's too expensive. Better, better cross that one out then. And, you know, well, we should look on the bright side. At least it's there now, right? So it's really important that coverage. I mean, that, that's a really important point is to say speeds and feeds are all very well, but actually what's the 
point of mobile connectivity is connectivity, right? And if you haven't got coverage, you haven't got connectivity. So we absolutely need to find a way of using the convergence of all the technologies, such as non-terrestrial, as well as fixed and mobile and you know, licensed and unlicensed cellular and Wi-Fi, to bring all that together and provide a solution. I mean, there's a lot of kind of, or you can't possibly have a uniform experience, but you know, something is better than nothing. And that's what we've got at the moment in many important cases is nothing. So we should get on it. So turning to innovation in the space then is the final question. You know, what are you most excited about coming up in the short term and medium term? To your point, we've heard a lot about generations of mobile, mm. now quoting 6G there, having lived through the three, the four, the five. <laughs> yeah. What is the kind of lead message for the sixth generation of mobile and how will it change people's ability to communicate, do business, etc.? You know, will it be groundbreaking or incremental? Yeah, it is a challenge. And there's a lot spoken about you know, the increased bandwidth, you know, sub-terahertz radios, about the importance of the metaverse in, in all of this, small m. And it's, it's hard to understand, isn't it? From where we are today, do we really need all of that? And, and we heard Paul Lee this morning talking about, is XR a driver, really? Honestly, let's look at it you know, with some proper illumination and, and get beyond the hype. Is XR really a driver for bandwidth requirements? Probably not. But on the other hand, we've been here before, right? We've been over here back in 3G, when, when 3G was coming along after GSM, we had the same conversation. Oh, no, what do we need 3G for? We've got Edge, you know, we've got, we, just, we just need, you know, we're doing email and web browsing. Edge will be fine, right? We don't need any more than that. And then of course you get 3G and people are like, why is it so slow? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then LTE comes along, okay, that's starting to work now, okay. And then 5G, I mean, 5G promised too much, really. I think that's our biggest issue that we're trying to recover from as an industry is that 5G promised a lot in terms of low latency and machine-type comms, internet of things, which the vendors haven't really adopted, right? So what the vendors have adopted is very sensibly more of the same, more, more of what they know they can make money out of. And that means lighting up more spectrum. And that's a good thing, actually. It's actually being able to light up more spectrum, serve more people. But you know, notwithstanding what I said earlier, we need to go beyond that and cover more of the country, not just give them more speed bits oh. per second. We need to give them some signal level as well. So all of that's important. And I think that our thinking is still sort of reeling from that idea that actually we had all these promises about low latency and all the fantastic machine control applications we could do, Industry 4.0 and blah, blah, blah. And, and none of it's come to pass yet. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on to make it come to pass, but it's not there yet. And I think until it does, and people see the proof points about what cellular can do to deliver improved productivity in industrial applications in various vertical markets, and UKTN has an activity there as well in terms of getting adoption going in the UK in those areas. The whole 6G conversation is a challenge. There's, there's no doubt about that. But you know, the things it's trying to do try and push the envelope of things you know, we don't know what the applications are going to be you know i think we heard some fairly convincing proof this morning from the data that paul lee presented that xr isn't pro probably isn't it but you know something else will come along i have no doubt about that and i, I don't have a crystal ball either so but w something else will come along well thanks so much for taking the time out very much appreciated you're welcome So next we have James Thomas, CEO and founder of Jet Connectivity with us. So welcome, James. 
Thank you for having me today. Our pleasure. So interestingly enough, in 64 episodes, we've talked about a lot on Cambridge Tech Podcast, but we've never talked anything about maritime technologies. So we're very excited to hear from you. And if you could, could you just give us an overview on what maritime technologies are and, you know, what are the opportunities? So for us, I think maritime technology is the ability to use communications to do some positive impacts in the blue economy, whether that's things that are close to shore, like aquaculture farms, all the way through to wind farms, or maybe even further afield. And and what kind of opportunities are there with those um, technologies? So I think... The the question I'd like to rephrase slightly is what do you use your mobile phone for on land that you could use it for at sea? So if you, if you think about what we would use our phone for on land, it would be things like navigating. It would be things like talking to our friends, our family. It'd be data collection. And we can think of the more in-depth use cases like VR headsets so we could start to see how we build structures. We could do all those things at sea. So that could be something like calling our, our, our loved ones and going, hey, I'm still safe on my ship. Or it could be something like building a wind turbine. And when you talk about the size and scale of some of the energy infrastructure projects ongoing, there's huge opportunities out there. And we asked a similar question around space and the exploitation of space. With maritime, do you see a similar kind of commercial-led competition to deploy infrastructure in the maritime environment? How do you see that playing out in terms of ubiquitous coverage? I, th- I think maritime and space are really different sectors. We're really sustainability focused, so we've tried to build infrastructure to go only where there's a need rather than just putting it globally for no purpose. We're also trying to build it into the point where we deliver it for specific reasons and with a long life. So our our, our infrastructure we're deploying is designed to last 30 years. So it's very much a case of let's maintain it, let's reuse it, recycle it. That is a mindset rather than space, which I think has a very different way of delivering connectivity. Mm. And I, I think part of that's around why would we not want to put connectivity where we have those really big powerful use cases leisure sailors lots of people that are out there doing fishing Mm. lots of people out there in the energy sector and i think it's it's putting that communication where it's really needed okay and and that's a good segue to ask you what does jet connectivity do what what's your product range so we are building floating mobile phone networks private mobile phone networks for offshore wind customers primarily Mm mm-hmm And we're collecting data off them to try and build a more sustainable route to wind farms. So it's things like wind, rain, data, those sort of things you can imagine are really essential. There's a a real big issue that sometimes at the moment people are deploying buoys with with sensors on them, but they only find they get the data as a year later when they go out there, collect the SIM card and take it back because the amount of data that's collected. So we're enabling that to be done in real time. Right. And James, you're one of the exhibitors today in the startup zone as well. How have you found the conversations? It's been a brilliant event to be part of. I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity. And it's it's the range of seniors that we've met here today that have been influential. And it's getting a chance to meet those stakeholders, explain a little bit about what you're doing and why it might be interesting to them. And you don't get that at most conferences. You know, today it's been really impactful to have some of those really big topic conversations about what what do we do about certain big challenges we're facing. So yeah, really good times. That's great. Well, we'd better let you get back to talking to a few more people. Thanks for coming on the podcast, James. Thanks for having me. So before we introduce our last guest, I actually just wanted to give a little bit of context here. So it was actually the first session of the day when Ruth Brown, Principal Analyst of Mobile Networks and 5G at Heavy Reading, introduced the topic of convergence. And I think this is really interesting for multiple reasons. You know, we've just heard three people speak in isolation about at altitude on the ground in the sea. So 
how they all come together, I think, is is really important. And that's what Ben's going to talk about. But Ruth actually set the scene and introduced the topic of conversions with kind of six different channels. And they were seamless coverage, simplification, unity and efficiency, paradigm shift and new ecosystems, awareness and intelligence and innovation. And actually, if you think about all technologies, they're all at different stages of each of those different components. So I found it really interesting. And to find out a little bit more, we've invited the panelist at the start and presenter, Ben Timmons, who's Senior Director of Business Development at Qualcomm, to come and join us. So welcome, Ben. Qualcomm is known for talking about new technologies. Today, you actually talked about something slightly different. It was around the relationships of global networks and thinking of what else you can do with those global networks. And you shared with the audience an example of convergence around logistics. And I'm wondering if you can talk us through that. Sure. Yes. As you say, we are uh, generally in the business of promoting leading edge new technology, largely because we're building those technologies into pieces of silicon that are going into devices of all kinds, mostly smartphones, but lots of other things as well. And it's clear to us that in the IoT industry, broadly defined, that there are there are opportunities not being fulfilled by that approach. The IoT is very fragmented, very complex that the the decision makers, largely enterprises, where the big opportunities are, are finding it very, very difficult to to identify the technologies that can support uh, valuable business cases for them and reluctant to invest uh, as a result of that. It's too scary. There's too much risk. So I picked the example of logistics largely because it's a very big, very complex, highly technical industry. You know, there's been an enormous amount of investment in new capability in logistics. But also the value of improvements are so clear. And the the platform that we're developing is really trying to bring together a set of what for for many enterprises look like very fragmented technologies. So the connectivity, so that you will not be having to make a choice about 4G or 5G or NB-IoT or CAT-M or CAT-1 or CAT-3 or other non-cellular technologies. We're incorporating satellite, we're incorporating Wi-Fi. So the connection part is done. The service part, you know, from whom do I buy this service? Do I build a private network? Do I go to an MVNO? Do I go to a carrier? Well, we've done that as well as a service element in it. We'll provide the device, we'll provide it connected with a SIM card already in it that gives global capability that, that roams, that will switch between technologies that support satellite as well as cellular and Wi-Fi. And we'll provide a, a, a platform behind that that helps an enterprise understand the location, the condition, the state of any asset they're trying to track around the world. The deeper that we've gone into this, the more that we've understood the challenges that the logistics industry faces and the value of these kind of improvements, the ability to track and monitor a shipment truly around the world, you know, when it's when it leaves the factory, when it's on the high seas, when it's arriving at the warehouse, if it's on a lorry, not just location, but condition as well. So temperature, we have accelerometers in the in the devices so that if the package is dropped, you'll know. And the platform, the dashboard of the platform, is able to provide information to enterprises all the time. So the aim, really, is to offer this very generic end-to-end approach 
where there's an enormous range of applications. Logistics is such a great one because it's so easy to understand the value of being able to properly track with a single system from a factory gate to consumer. But there are plenty of other examples as well. You know, the other one that I used couldn't be more different, which is monitoring of utility poles. You know, has this utility pole been hit by a lorry? Has it fallen over in a storm? Something that you might be updating you know, extremely rarely, maybe you know, every every half day, to understand the state of that particular asset. The platform will also deliver for for that kind of application as well. That sparks a whole bunch of questions in my head. I'll, I'll try and. Keep them to a minimum. I mean, it sounds ideal that you have that integrated user experience, billing, you know, the relationship with a single company. When you talk to customers, how do they balance that kind of the temptation to have that, you know, perfect one size fits all sort of solution versus the the legacy investments they probably have in existing systems? You know, how, you know, is that switching costs? Yeah, it, it's true. Thus far, it's horses for courses, and actually, it's something that we've always found in our in our enterprise relationships is that we find enterprises that have got a a kind of technology oriented frame of mind, people that are really genuinely interested in innovation, and they're the people that it's easier to partner with. They're willing yeah. to make those changes and in, invest in this kind of platform. So, uh, it, cultural as much as anything else. To be honest, I think the platform will prove itself so that it, 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 enterprises will increasingly recognize that they can ameliorate the risk of having stranded assets by taking a, a service approach and that there's enough in the, in the service that we're offering to make it worthwhile having someone else do it rather than doing it themselves. How does this come together? You know, how do you get together on the kind of land side of things? You've got the mobile operators. We've talked about space today. We talked about maritime. You know, how how are you bringing all that together as an ecosystem? We've got a, a, a couple of key partnerships on the, the cellular connectivity side. So, you know, we are offering a single global SIM and the same on the space side as well. We're similarly working with an aggregator to deliver that but the packaging of all of that is done by us and that really is the part that you know traditionally it's something that we don't do so building the platform and delivering the service is new to us but thus far going pretty well platforms available now the devices we have in small volumes now we're using them in some fairly large-scale trials right now sounds exciting thanks for taking the time to come on great thank you So that was a really interesting set of discussions on the the range of topics of the theme today. We didn't even touch on a few of them, though. So we talked a little bit about the startup zone. Obviously, we spoke to James from Jet Connectivity. We talked about OPPO with Paul and Vivid Q. But it was also great to see a few other startups there like Bleak on Supersense Tech and Beyond Math, who we talked to on a previous episode so there's definitely lots of other interesting content there. How do you feel it went, James? And are you feeling a little bit more optimistic than the start? Well, a couple of things. You know, it's always my favourite episodes when we get out and about and go and see people. So I, it's been a great day. As you touched on, nice to see so many people that we've actually already had on the podcast yeah. and lots of new ideas for other people to come onto the show in the future. Just to caveat my kind of... <laughs> My bad cop intro. Do you, do you feel you need to explain yourself? I kind of a little bit. Just in case anyone isn't aware, I spent about 15 years working in mobile for O2 and Telefonica. So I'm, I'm a little bit 
maybe jaded and bitter about that. I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps that came through too much in the introduction. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so much has been going on today. We haven't even scratched the surface. We do talk a lot about AI and quantum on the podcast. So we, we kind of haven't covered that so much today. We wanted to focus more on the telecom side of things. But just to give listeners a sense of the richness of the program, pretty much everything's been covered today. One of the things that we haven't talked about was before we actually started recording, James asked me if we could do something. This is really just to show James's lighter side. He actually asked if we could do a song before we covered each of the different areas. So James, what were those songs? Well, I got to two out of the three before you shot me down in flames. So the first one was Under the Sea for obviously the maritime side of things. Do you know how, I don't know how that one goes. The famous Disney song. Yeah, obviously. No, are you not actually going to sing it? No. Okay. Um, and then I suggested uh, Eagle by ABBA for the uh, stratospheric one, but I didn't come up with anything for the the terrestrial one because you shot me down. Okay, well, maybe maybe you can respond on the comments for the podcast <laughs> with what James can sing on a future episode. No <laughs> That's one, innovation for you. No one wants that. <laughs> um, and on that note, that's the end of today's episode. See you next week. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. Abbey People is a vibrant community charity working in Abbey Ward, Cambridge, an area that's in the top 20% most deprived in the UK. The reality for people living in Abbey is that life is hard, people struggle to make ends meet. Abbey People, together with volunteers, is providing support and companionship while walking alongside people as neighbours. Find out more at abbeypeople.org.uk.